Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. It is Jack and I today. We are going into swimming. Um, we're going to talk about some swimming. First, we're going to catch up. Both of us are coming back from injury. Jack most recently broke his thumb. I think mine was a lot more severe. Like mine was like three weeks, you know, it was tough. And, you know, I know Garrick's might've been like several years on impounding, but I don't know. I just, I feel like you've got it easy. Yours is more current <laughs> and more acute. So we'll give you that. Um, uh, but anyway, yes, we do need to catch up on that. So, okay. Mine's a lot easier quicker because the injury is easier and quicker it literally you know you break a bone and it tends to heal pretty linearly um between what do they say four to six weeks you tend to get them pretty much back to normal so i've found i've broken a lot of bones before and when it's not like a severe break three weeks seems to be for me like when i can pretty much function fully and then about four weeks before it's like totally pain-free um so i just hit so for my ribs, I'm sitting at just under four weeks and that three week mark was probably, yeah, two and a half, three weeks before the ribs weren't affecting me at all in, in any of my training, uh, which is great. And then in terms of the thumb, um, I was supposed to stay out of the splint for four weeks, but I pretty much stopped using it fully after about two and a half because just the pain was not there anymore doing those activities, swim, bike and running none of which are super hard on the thumb. So that's great. Um, and the other great thing that's happened is our pools opened up over the last few days. So I've been swimming a lot and swims coming back really quick and that's been awesome. So, you know, injury was a little bit quicker to recover from than it could have been, which is great. I did everything I could to recover and, you know, uh, back on track for the season. Now, Garrick has a very cool. exciting development with his injury because what can you do tomorrow, Garrett, for the first time in ages? Yes, tomorrow for the first time since it was like August 15th or something ridiculous, I can run again, which is pretty exciting. I'm sure it's going to be about five minutes of running broken up over 20 minutes or something like that. Um, but one thing that we I just want to note for Jack's injury, when he's talking about three to four weeks with regards to broken bone, that's for a non-weight bearing bone. <laughs> Right. Yes. That's important to note. <laughs> and, a, and like a hairline fracture. I mean, this wasn't a hairline fracture, but it's being held in with hardware, which does tend to help speed up the healing because you've got some stability already kind of built in there. But yes, big difference. Like when I broke my elbow, you know, they said, yep, don't put it in a splint. Don't do anything. Just use it normally. And like even swimming isn't going to re-injure it because it's such a minor break. So weight bearing though i mean garrick knows this he's in prosthetics what do they say when it comes to like you know broken femur or something crazy like that oh it's eight to ten weeks or eight to twelve weeks i believe is the general recommendation uh but in prosthetics we deal a lot with people with no bones so right <laughs> but no in orthotics we also study orthotics it is, it is that um but yeah, for weight bearing, I mean, that's something I'm dealing with right now, right? Yeah. Uh, the surgery, the doctor said, 
usually he waits about three months at post-surgery before letting someone run. But with an individualized recovery plan, like I've had uh, from my orthopedic surgeon with, you know, routine checkups, working with the physio as well, we've developed a, a recovery plan that when I hit certain benchmarks, no matter how far perhaps ahead um, it was from what the quote unquote book recovery should be, that allowed me to get back to running within 10 weeks, as opposed to 12 or even 16 weeks sometimes, uh, which is that standard range. So the big thing that I hit, which I ended up hitting at about six weeks, uh, which was well ahead of what was supposed to be the plan recovery was three sets of 10 reps at 80% of my body weight for leg presses. And I was doing that um, single-legged by eight weeks. So nice. I was well ahead of, of where I was at. Um, obviously, I had a bit Cycling of- Cycling probably accelerated that big time because you're essentially doing leg press when you bike. I think so, yeah. And um, I know- and being even, a beast. I, I, even though I added a few pounds- um, during my off time over the last, whatever it's been. Right. That makes it harder because you gain a few pounds because you were on some crazy drug that really was not beneficial. What was that called again? Um, oh, I can't remember the exact, it's a protein pump inhibitor basically is what it was. And it made me gain weight really fast. Um, yeah, it was incredibly frustrating because I didn't know it was doing that. I didn't know it was a side effect. And then I told my doctor and he's like, Oh yeah, uh, you're on. Was like wanna... Dazepam or something. There's a few drugs I was on. I don't want to say the wrong one. Um, that was, uh, but, um, yeah, I don't want to say the wrong one, but it's a protein pump inhibitor. It's pretty easy to look up. And, uh, yeah, it, I mean, I'm 20 pounds down now from where I was, uh, when I started training again on December 20. December 20th or something like that. 20 uh, pounds in six weeks. Yes. That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's crazy. So I've never even, I haven't swayed literally. I've never swayed 20 pounds in the last, like since I, when would I have been 20 pounds lighter? I don't even know, like grade 10, grade nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was kind of tough. Like because to start, like, I didn't know why I was putting the weight on. And I was on this drug because I was on this drug for, for a while um, from both of my surgeries, right? And because it works as an anti-inflammatory as well. It's like a strong anti-inflammatory. Uh, or no, sorry. It was protecting my stomach from the anti-inflammatory I was taking. Again, I can't remember the exact names of the drugs, but um, that I was taking during between the two surgeries because I was trying to train a bit to, like, maintain some fitness and not you know, and like maintain tendon strength, muscle strength, bone sanity and, and sanity. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I couldn't, I didn't know why I was, like, there were days I was like, I, I started tracking my calories, eating like 1800 calories a day and still riding a bike, like one to two hours and or swimming, doing something that was burning at least 500 calories a day on as well. And I was still gaining weight and I couldn't figure it out. And it was really frustrating until my doctor told me that. And I was like, Oh, why didn't you tell me, dude? Like, um, but but it's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, that's great because then it's an easy fix, right? As soon as you come off that, you probably started shedding weight like crazy. Yeah, I'm back within ten pounds, fifteen pounds of my race weight, which is kind of normally where I 
like I'm probably about five pounds above what I'd normally be at this time of year during the winter, because I do, my weight does tend to fluctuate, fluctuate quite a bit. Um, but yeah, but anyways, yeah, back to running. Um, that's going to be awesome. And, uh, hopefully, you know, the pounds keep coming off, but I've stopped really stressing about the weight anymore and just kind of doing my thing and focusing on my recovery. So that's that, but I'm really excited. Well, that's going to be awesome. And now transitioning more back into swimming, you've been able to swim more or less most of this time throughout the recovery from this injury, but you've had to deal with some limitations in your ability to kick. Um, you've been doing tons of pulls. So like, how have you dealt with that? What have you been doing? I remember at camp, you couldn't pretty much do any kicking at all or very little. So, uh, have you become a total beast at pulling or has that caused any issues? Yeah. So I'm back now I'm at the point where I can do about one K of swimming, uh, broken up at tempo at about a tempo effort with my kick because yeah, like you said, the beginning of January, first week of January there, I couldn't kick at all. And, uh, I, I can tolerate about one K now, uh, at the eight week mark, they, the capsule in my hip joint should be fully healed. So the doctor was like, you can start to kick. So that's been about two weeks now. And I'm, you know, you got to work through a lot of, uh, scar tissue and stuff in the hip flexors with this. Um, so there is some soreness there and some stiffness, uh, which we've been working on quite a bit with the physio. That's been awesome. Um, so I'm at that point now. One thing I did notice though, cause I was swimming 20, 30 K a week of just straight pull. And um, it really threw off my timing when I came back to swimming with kick. Uh, and that's something that I think could be really dangerous. And we will address that um, later in this episode. when when we talk about, over focus stuff that people over focus on that could be detrimental to their swimming but i mean i'm, I'm pretty happy um jack i know you've been swimming with a splint <laughs> how's that been going well yeah i did for about well probably i mean i did one swim with the splint i had pre-surgery um but i pretty much didn't swim for like let's just say i basically didn't swim for a week and a half and then a mid to two weeks. And then I kind of swam with a splint for two weeks. And then now I'm kind of back to normal. So the splint was interesting. I, it, it was kind of a coincidence that the sort of like instability and soreness in my thumb area while swimming with the splint kind of healed at the same rate that my like rib injury healed at. I never did get an x-ray, but I'm fairly sure I had like a very minor crack in one of the ribs just based on how it healed in the timeline. Um, so I would be able to swim, say 130 pace was like pretty much the fastest I could swim at first. And that was as much as my rib could tolerate. And it was also as much as my thumb could tolerate. So kind of, they, they both healed together. And then I know, and then my rib was feeling pretty good, but this, I knew I needed to start trying to take the splint off when like I could feel that it was slowing me down and I wanted to push harder, but it was just like dragging through the water. Um, so that was a little frustrating, but I was, I still got down to some like one fifteen hundreds and stuff, like not super, super slow. Um, and then as soon as I took it off, it was like, as soon as I was able to swim hard without it, it was probably four to five seconds per hundred faster right away. So 
um which when you, really nice when you're saying like 115 130 to put that in perspective your 1500 time trial pace is probably about 112 110 per 100 meters yeah i would say 112 around when i'm in my best fitness um would be the pace um so yeah that's pretty you know pretty, pretty close to like threshold kind of effort and and now you know today i did a really good set where i was doing quite a bit of stuff under 115 pace so um so yeah really positive on that and and short term i think you know when you've got let's say a, let's call that a three to four week injury um there's a, a couple ways that people can handle that, that and i think what really worked well for me in this case was doing as much as i could with like pain-free was huge because i essentially was able to maintain my fitness and maintain my feel um even some of my speed uh, over that period. If I had just said, oh, I'm injured, you know, I can't really train. I'm just going to take three weeks off. It would have been a huge hurdle to overcome that, gain that fitness back, gain the confidence back. And it would have essentially taken three or four times as long to get back. So, you know, injuries are always individual, but in this case, it, it made sense for me to kind of just take a bit of a lighter period, a little bit of a recovery period without losing too much. And it seems to have worked pretty well. Um, but yeah, swimming now quite a bit. It's going to be a focus for me uh, over the next, you know, until the season starts, I'm probably, I'm going to be swimming six times a week, twice a week. We're going to swim like between five and a half to six K. We got a nice group here um, to swim with of, of elites. And then there's going to be another couple swims that are more in the three to four K range. And then a one or two easier swims uh, as well. So um, in the focus for me for swimming in the off season, something I've worked, worked at for years to figure out what's best to focus on. And obviously for you, you've been forced to focus on your pull and maybe we can mention how that could be, you know, something that a lot of people could work on and what could happen if they do too much of that. Yeah. So I really had to focus on, on that pull, but I think there are different categories of swimmers out there that we really need to kind of delineate um, what their focus should be in the winter. I'm sure most people are getting ready for a spring race whether it's a sprint, Olympic, half Ironman, Ironman, we really need to delineate between your beginner swimmer, your intermediate swimmer, kind of your advanced swimmer, we'll call them, and then your elite level swimmer within that triathlon realm. Uh, if you want to start off, let's, uh, in terms of winter focus, I think across all groups, you probably want to focus like you want to get in the pool more often in the winter than you probably do come race season, just because of accessibility and, you know, you're spending more time on the trainer. Um, so you're spending less overall volume training. So why not head to the pool? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think more volume is a good focus for the winter. It's also the only one of the three sports that becomes that doesn't become significantly less enjoyable for most people because you're not out in the freezing cold or it depends where you're from, I guess, maybe it'll be nicer for you if you're in Florida or whatever to bike or run outside. But, um, but yeah, people tend to get motivated for swimming in the winter. Everybody's like, all right, let's, you know, get our master swim group going or a triathlon swim group or whatever the case may be. So uh, definitely agree there. And even for myself, I probably do swim just a little bit more uh, this time of year, partly for those reasons. 
Yeah. And that's also bringing up a great point is swim with people, you know, it'll help you get motivated, help you get out there. I know so many people just get motivated with other people. I do. I like swimming with other people. I, during the winter last year, two years ago, I swam with a group that, you know, maybe I was a little quicker then, but they were so much fun to swim with. And it got me up out of bed and in the pool early when I had to swim. Uh, and that kind of really helps. Yeah. The um, swim is grind. It can be a grind on your own. So like I've got, you know, it depends on what's available in your area, but definitely trying to get at least one or two swims of the group uh, during the week is, is, or each week would be great, especially for those harder sets. And then sometimes, you know, if you've got more of a technical swim or kind of a form focused swim, it, it might be good to do that on your own where you're kind of focusing on the, the drills and the different things you need to focus on. So, um, yeah, that's a good point to start at how much drills and how much hard swimming and what should the hard swimming look like this time of year? Um, definitely a good time in my opinion to kind of do a little bit more of those longer base type, um, efforts, get that aerobic base built up. Maybe not too, too many of the super, super high end VO two sets yet. Um, kind of more of that base season and definitely good to do some speed though. Don't try to lose touch with that completely. So that that's good as well. But I like to do, you know, longer pull sets, some more tempo type work with uh, a little bit of speed kind of mixed in. So um, that's for kind of the efforts. And then also for form, I like to just kind of work on one or two things at a time and work them in to most swims for a little bit, you know, before I get into the harder work. Um, but for me working on the fewer things I can work on, the more progress I seem to make because I can actually make improvements while doing repetition of trying to make that improvement. Um, I see a lot of people do like 10 different drills in the same swim and they don't know what they're working on. And it's just kind of pointless. Um, if you're not sure what you're trying to tell your body to improve at. So, uh, I know you've, you've said that before too, Garrett you you're a big proponent of working on like one or two drills and kind of like one thing in your stroke. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I'd say that's definitely fair. Um, I think so, especially like the beginner level swimmers, they come in and they're overwhelmed with stroke mechanics and what they have to do. But if you slowly build your stroke one, like one component at a time and start putting it together, it's kind of a long game. You'll get there and get good at that aspect of your stroke, feel that aspect of your stroke and improve that one aspect, you know, whether it's hand entry or early vertical forearm um, or not breaking your wrist when you pull or, um, you know, rotate more. Yeah. Body position. Like, yeah. Feet yeah, higher in the water. Way. Those are things that age groupers struggle with a lot. Right. Yeah focus on that, that one thing, get good at that one thing and then move on. Because if you try to do it all, you're going to get good at none of them. You're going to forget about them. It's going to be overwhelming and you'll probably just quit the sport. Yeah. Or just continue to be, be, you know, very, yeah. uh, have a lot of issues with swimming, but swimming is the hardest freaking one, man. And the best and the worst thing about swimming is definitely that it's almost impossible to be perfect at it with your form. 
Um, it's the best thing because you can always work on something and it's the worst thing if you're like a perfectionist and it stresses you out that you aren't perfect at it yet. So <laughs> yeah, definitely a mix of those things. And I think this is a good aspect where we can delineate between these levels of ability. If you're, if you're a beginner, we really need to, we do need to focus on that stroke mechanics and you might put a big effort into that. Um, and then as you, you climb up the ranks, you need to start focusing, you know, a little less on, on the form because there's going to come a time where you'll max out kind of where your form needs to be. Once you get into that more elite level, you know, like these elite level triathletes, they're not spending 80% of their swimming doing drills. Um, they're, they're working through, they're doing aerobic sets. They're doing strength-based sets. They're doing anaerobic sets. And, you know, it's kind of, you get to a point where it's like, well, your stroke is kind of your stroke where it's at. And now we need to build fitness. And that's why, you know, you can hold more volume. But if you look at these top level triathletes, if you look at an Eric, look at Eric Lagerstrom swimming, well, let's use him as, as a case study. I know he's not listening to this because he has his own podcast now. He does. He's doing that too. Yep. Yeah. They're doing that too. Gosh. Well, and for those of you who don't know, Eric Lagerstrom is definitely one of the top five swimmers in the sport, I would say. Like, he's very, very, very good. He's awesome. He's kicks my butt every time we swim, but or every time we race. But if you look at his stroke underwater, and he has tons of footage on his YouTube channel, it's not this perfect biomechanical stroke, you know, that every coach strives for, yet he's still one of the fastest swimmers in triathlon. If you, if you watch an underwater footage, if you watch underwater footage of essentially any open water marathon swim as well, it's not this perfect biomechanical stroke that everyone aims for. Same thing with the 1500 in the pool. You do have some guys with beautiful strokes, but you know, you get to a point where it's like, okay, we need to get really fit now. You know, mm. like yeah. we just focus on all these forms but as you climb up the ranks then then do that but first work out one aspect at a time and get there you know bit bit by bit yeah bit by bit for sure and i think that's a great point and i've noticed that as well with um some other great swimmers i I once saw some footage um i think it was josh amberger who was the swim smooth uh guys did an analysis on his stroke and it's same thing. He doesn't have a perfect, perfect stroke either, um, but he's an incredible swimmer. And obviously what are, what he's doing is still very efficient. So there is one thing that I would like to mention when we're saying, you know, some of these really, really great swimmers don't have perfect form. There is one thing that all very, very good swimmers like them have in common that they, that they always do well. Um, always an elite swimmer will have excellent body position and always are going to have excellent rotation because those are the two things that you can't pretty much, you can't be very fast without because the body position, if you don't have good body position, you're dragging and you're just wasting a ton of energy. And if you don't have good rotation, you're not optimizing the muscles in your body to produce power while you're pulling. Um, so those are the two things. And sometimes, yeah, and the other things are the things that are sometimes not as important. Some people lose a little bit of water. They maybe don't have the perfect catch. They maybe have their fingers splayed a little bit or their wrist at a weird angle or things like that. 
that don't actually matter quite as much. Um, so it's a good thing to think about as a beginner, because if you can get your body position and your rotation on point and good timing, you're going to be so far uh, improved that those other little things, you know, aren't going to matter quite as much. Yeah, I was listening to a, I think it was a swim smooth podcast and it was something that no one really, it, it, he used a word that I've never heard anyone use before. And he said, posture in the water, you know, like your posture, you always talk about your posture when you're running, when you're standing, no one ever talks about your posture in the water. And he's like, people, when they swim sometimes, like, I know we have to look up to sight, but sometimes they're, they're looking up and forward too much and it increases that lordosis in their back and it gives them low back pain that results in them dropping their feet. And then they're always sore when they're swimming. And he's like, just look down, give it, you know, even a 45 degree angle down and you're going to rotate that. You're going to tilt that pelvis and <clears throat> you'll be able to keep a better body position in the water. Um, if you just focus on that, that posture. And if you, you know, you wrote, you, um, maybe adduct your, um, hit your shoulder blades together, yeah, hit your shoulder blades together. Then you're using all of a sudden now you're engaging more of your back. Mm. And I had never really heard anyone talk about it from that angle, but it, it does, does make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, engaging more of your back, because that's something I've, I've really worked on over the last year. Um, and I've really gotten a lot more consistent and faster in my races. And I, I attribute it to that. And what clicked for me was like, I basically was thinking of, cause when you're swimming, everything's kind of in front of you, right? It's like your hands in front of you. And then it's underneath you. Like it's all, it feels like you need to be strong in the front of your body because that's where everything is. And that's where you're looking. And you know, that's what you have control over, but really you need to pull with your muscles in your back because those are the stronger muscles. Like your lat muscles are huge. Like they're way stronger than like your pec minor or anything like that. So if you can engage your lats and use your back muscles to pull, it's just going to be a lot stronger and a lot you're going to fatigue less quickly. So you'll notice it more, especially over the longer efforts. And that's where I've really improved my sprinting and my, you know, short distance hasn't changed much, but when it comes to holding a race effort, holding like anything two hundreds and above, I've really been a lot more consistent and been able to swim with a bit of a lower heart rate. Cause I just am more strength based now, um, which has been huge for my racing. And so I'm going to continue to improve that through this off season and through, or I guess this winter season, uh, to try to, you know, keep improving in my races. Um, but like Garrick said, you know, those are things I'm thinking about early, you know, my warm up and my activation set drill set. And then when it comes to swimming in the main set, I'm really focusing on more fitness building and you can kind of prioritize that and just check in with form little bits here and there. Whereas if you're a beginner, you're going to definitely be spending a lot of your swims focusing a lot on form and not necessarily on how fast you're going, try to get that efficiency up. And then as the race season approaches is when you'll try to sharpen up your fitness a little bit more. Um, now, what about for like an intermediate swimmer? Should they, it's basically halfway in between a little bit more drills and focus on form than an elite, but still doing some more kind of like aerobic sets, would you say? 
Yeah, I would say, like, like you said, we don't want to focus all on drills um, because then you just become a really good drill swimmer and not a very good swimmer swimmer. But you can start fade, like fading out as much drills. So if you are at that level of swimming, you're probably going to still be focusing heavily, yes, heavily on technique and but you still want to start building fitness so you can maintain that technique. Right. So for fitness building type workouts this time of year, what would you say, you know, is a good focus for people? Um, I like 400s and, and pull sets, like sets where you mix in some pull and some swim. And I like sets that are kind of at below race pace, you know, work on that strength, but then incorporating a little bit above race pace, um, towards the end of the set. Um, that's kind of my favorite go-to. Um, so maybe like, you know, some two hundreds, a little bit below race pace, and then some one hundreds at race pace or above. Um, so do you, do you tend to like those kind of longer aerobic sets this time of year, or do you, you mix in a lot more speed as well? Yeah, I think for that, um, like advanced and elite level, that's great. Long stuff is awesome. If we're talking about kind of lower like the newer swimmers or the intermediate swimmers, I want to keep it fairly short because I want to give them rest so that when they are swimming, that way they have the strength. They, that way they can take more good strokes, if that makes sense, as opposed Absolutely. to um, like if, if, they, if we were to give them a set that we would do, it would just tire them out like too much. And they would be just horrible form. Uh, and then that would, as they become faster swimmers, we can slowly build them into longer and longer sets to develop that strength. But I think for sure for like uh, the higher level swimmers, yeah, you got to be going long. You got to be going strong. You got to be building strength. And one thing that I really, really like for this time of the year is band work. Because like we mentioned before, body position is crucial. And if you're able to have good body position in the water, then your kick will be driving you forward as opposed to lifting you up. So you're using more, you're losing more energy to propel yourself forward as opposed to, um, kind of just surviving. Yeah. If that <laughs> makes you a little more efficient and the band, if, if you're not able to swim well with the band, then you know that the body position just isn't quite there. And another thing that the band does is it helps you work on variable cadence. So it increases your stroke cadence. And that's something that is very, very crucial in the open water because the way we race is not on with lane ropes and perfectly paced 1500, you know, we're out swimming these obscure distances 1936 meters or whatever <laughs> and and you have to start really hard because drafting is a huge part of our race and then you have to settle in and then you have bodies all around you yeah. and you got turn around buoys and the surge cover and gaps and it's a very yeah. effort. and there's currents and there's waves and you you need to be able to adapt your stroke cadence to whatever right like sometimes you can't get a full long stroke in because there's a guy kicking you in the head and another guy pushing your hips down 
and you're punching another person. So like, <laughs> you know, like you need to have a high cadence and you need to be able to sprint and recover. And yeah. And then sometimes if you're out front, you know, you have a nice and it's smooth, you have a nice long cadence or a nice long stroke, but sometimes it's wavy and any glide you do is just going to send you backwards. So yeah. the band again is good at and laying yeah, you need down a high turnover with the band for sure. I agree. And, and that's great. We should mention band work a little bit here. So when you're talking about band work, are, you're referring to swimming with only a band around your ankles? Correct. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's a great, uh, a great way to, you know, build. Yeah. Body position is the main one for that. And I like working on that as well. One thing to note with a band, even like elite level swimmers, like your pro triathlete swimmers, like Garrick and I, who are, you know, relatively fast in the swim, we don't swim anything longer than what a hundred usually with a band at the most, you know, yeah. maybe the odd 200, but typically it's fifties or hundreds, maybe even 25s because in order to maintain good form and keep good body position, that's how short we have to swim. And that that's a good parallel with a beginner swimmer doing regular swim where the same thing happens after they get past a couple hundred meters, their feet are going to sink. Um, so that's, you know, another thing it's, it's a good, it's a good point. And a beginner swimmer should never do band only because it's, it's way too advanced and they're just not going to be able to get the benefit out of the drill. Um, but a way that you can use a band as you start to improve, maybe up to, you know, once you're kind of in the intermediate level, you can use a band while you're doing pull. And that kind of really helps you do the pull drill properly without doing any kick. Um, I always wear a band when I do pull with a pull boy, um, just because I, otherwise I just end up kicking a little bit and then I'm not getting the purpose out of the pull drill. Um, so that's how I use a band. Like, so I use a band a lot of the time, but typically I have a pull boy and then, yeah, some band only sets like some fifties, some hundreds, even some 25s is a great way to pick up that stroke rate as well and adapt. Um, you've been doing a ton of pull because of course of your injury. And you've noticed that it actually has caused some issues that you're going to have to correct. You were mentioning before. So what was that? Yeah. So something I think a lot of people over-focus on because it's, it's almost like an easy go-to is pulling uh, because they use so much energy maintaining good body position. And like you said, I did, uh, about five weeks of almost all pull and when I started moving towards swimming without pull and started to swim a little faster I noticed that my timing was way off when it came to to breathing hand entry relative to rotation when it came to my kick um, it was almost like I was I was working harder yeah to lift my hips up and and to get that breath and I was really fighting for that breath um and i had a very choppy stroke nothing felt fluid or anything and i'm, I'm still kind of fighting that even it's been about what two or three weeks now i don't know math and um i've noticed that although i might have a strong pull i haven't been able to implement everything together and i almost feel like a rock in the water yeah yeah and that's you know that's obviously was something that's not too much in your control at that time because you had to do only pull. Um, but I, you will get that back and you will get the timing back. And I bet it's not as bad as it feels because that's another thing is sometimes 
the form that you naturally have doesn't change much, but if you can't feel it anymore, cause you haven't done it for a while, it, it'll feel way off. So I bet you'll get that feel back pretty, pretty quick. Um, but a way that you can avoid that. And obviously Garrick would have done this if he could is to always, you know, mix in some regular swimming. Even if you're doing a really heavy pull set, um, always do some, some swim mixed into that, or don't do any more than like a thousand or something of straight pull. Um, I like to always do free right after pull to make sure that I'm, you know, I refocus on that timing and then you kind of have that better lat and that better strength engagement of the upper body from the pull. And then you can kind of, uh, implement your kick and to like, make sure your timing is still good with your rotation. So that's kind of a good way to avoid that. So a good set might be to do like, I, I like to do as just a general, you know, mileage set, something like. 200 pull with paddles, 200 pull, 200 free. And then I might repeat that a bunch of times or I might do 400s. Um, but that's a good progression to kind of work into the, from pull to free and back. Yeah. And I think we should uh, really elaborate, like what is a good breakdown of a, of a swim session, really not only for this time of the year, but like any time of the year, when what should you look for in a swim set in terms of warm up, activation, drills, main sets, cool downs, like how should it be structured? Yeah, great question. Well, I mean, there's lots of different ways to do it. Um, but I think part of it that, you know, and this is something that I've kind of, I think improved on over the last three or four years is there should never be a part of the swim where you're not mentally engaged. Um, especially because with swimming, it's so technical that you know, you should always be focusing on something. So for a warm up, it's, I like to do, um, I have a standard warm up that I do that isn't always the exact same, but I often do. It's in a thousand warm up, which, you know, for a, a, a lot of swimmers, you might do half that, but uh, I do a 200 free, 200 mix, 200 pull paddles, and I always use a band, 200 pull with a band, and then 200 free. So um, the first 200 free and the mix is to kind of just, wake the body up, see how the strokes feeling, you know, see if the shoulders are loose. And then the 200 mix is yeah, really get, get some backstroke in, loosen up, start to feel a little bit more fluid. And then I do that pull paddles, pull free progression, um, to kind of get my, my lats engaged, get my body position, good focus on good. Um, you know, just the little aspects, make sure everything's feeling good and keep that effort, you know, pretty low but I do, I might build it a tiny bit throughout those two hundreds. Um, and then back to a 200 free at the end of warm up to just kind of get back into the freestyle, which is probably what I'll be doing for the set. Um, so that's my favorite warm up. Doesn't have to always be that, but, um, that's kind of a good progression. Um, and then it depends on the swim. Like sometimes you don't have time to do much more than a quick set and then a cool down. Um, but, usually an activation set is great. So what, what do you like to do for activation? What do you focus on? And, you know, what's your favorite set? Yeah. So, well, first, so I agree. You want a good variable warm up uh, if you have time. And then, but before that activation set, I like to do a little bit of a, a drill set because I like to, whether it's 400 or 800 or 200, just to, of my, I have two drills that are my favorite drills. And for me, it allows me to feel the water a bit better. And so I'll always do that. Um, sometimes it's integrated into the warm up, 
and or it's a separate drill set and then i move to that activation set and kind of activation set what i like to do is keep it short and sweet it could be four to six fifties with like 15 meters one five of hard swimming and then the rest um you know finish off the extra 10 meters to the wall turn around and then nice easy mix back uh with a decent rest in that just to get primed for the main set and then uh yeah a good main set it could be like we said it could be anything um this time of year i like to focus on that that longer stuff and that strength-based stuff so it could be 20 hundred 20 hundreds um something i really like to do is do multiple sets of something um and like add so like i'll do like free say 10 hundreds free and then um, 10 hundreds pull pads right now. Um, and that's 2K. It's not, it's not a bad main set. It's a decent amount of time. And then I can do short warm up, short cool down. Um, and that's it for my session. But it obviously matter, depends on how much time you have and where you're at uh, and you know what that structure looks like. But I think overall the structure of a good swim warm up variable warm up like you said quick drill set so that you're always kind of reminding yourself of that either you're feeling the water or you're reminding yourself of that technique that you're working on right now that that little bit activation get you primed and then um a solid main set that you know really could be any type of um intensity depending on what you're working on and then the cool down, you don't have to focus too much on the cool down. It can be 200, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. You can even just, you can, honestly, it's probably fine if you even just get out of the water after your main set, if you want, if you're rushed for time. Um, not going to do anything wrong with that. But yeah, that's a time where you can, and, and this is where maybe an elite swimmer, like, you know, we've got um, a couple swims a week we're doing here that are like 6K. And sometimes you're done the main set and you got 2K left. And so then we, we sometimes add a main set too, that's not really hard, but it's kind of aerobic. It might be like six, two hundreds on three minutes or something like that. And you just kind of come in and get a couple seconds rest. So, um, that's, that's where you can kind of add some mileage, but yeah, cool down typically nice and short, a little bit of mix, loosen up the shoulders and away you go. Um, but yeah, for, you know, like we said, if you, if you're, you know, some beginner swimmers, you might only be swimming a thousand or less even, uh, for your swim. So maybe you do like a 200 warm up where you're doing fifties, like you're doing a 50 mix and you're resting a few times. And then you do a couple of those with drill. And then you try to do, you know, maybe six by a hundred or something where you're trying to maintain good form. And then you're getting a good 30 second rest, um, afterwards, um, to kind of make sure that you can use good form for all those 100s and then maybe do like a 200 cooldown. Um, so that, you know, there's a big range there and, and that might even take quite a while. Like some swimmers, you know, they're doing three minutes per hundred kind of thing. So, um, definitely don't try to necessarily imitate exactly what we're doing because like Eric said, you know, if you go try to do a thousand warm up, then all of a sudden you're exhausted and you use terrible form and, <laughs> And you can't do your main set. That's not going to work. Yeah. Um, any traps you see people falling into aside for, you know, over pulling? For swimming. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I think something I'd like to talk about is using a watch in the pool. So obviously hot topic, hot topic a huge topic of debate. Um, I personally don't, I, I think it's fine to wear a watch in the pool to record your distance, your time. Um, not a huge fan of using it for recording like interval times or anything like that. I know even like Nick uses it and he would be here arguing about why it's great. Um, but the reason I don't like it is especially in the pool is because you, in order to use that watch, you're not actually just for the time where you have to start it and stop it. You're not swimming properly. You have to affect your swimming. You don't take that proper stroke. You, your body position drops, which isn't a big deal if you're doing longer reps, like say 400s. But if you're doing 25s or 50s, that's a significant percentage of your swim. Like you're only doing, like if you're doing 25s and you're doing 20 strokes, 5% or 10% of your strokes of that round, you're pressing your watch and you're not actually taking a stroke. And it's just, and it's also kind of arbitrary. It's like, why, like, I don't know. I feel like the exact time that you press it, it's hard to like time perfectly. You're better off just going, doing the proper stroke, hitting the wall, checking the clock, getting a close-ish estimate of what you did for time and, and going from there, in my opinion. Um, what do you think on a watch in the pool? What, what are your thoughts? It's perfect. It's great. You do it every set. I have never worn a pool in the watch. Uh, or watch in the pool, <laughs> pool in the watch. I've never watched, I've never worn a watch in the pool. Uh, I've never seen the purpose of it, especially with um, the clock right there. You can always see the clock uh, in most pools. Obviously there's some pools you can't uh, at that time, when, like during COVID when we were swimming outside at, in a pool at like a Bible camp, we, uh, I would put a pace clock on my phone by the pool so that I didn't need to wear a watch. Uh, I don't see the value in a lot of the data collected by the watch. If I think enough data is collected as when someone types in the training peaks and they said, averaged this for this main set felt like this, you right. know? Um, and I that's, think people with watches tend not to put as many comments because they're like, oh, just look at the file. It's like, it's a bunch of lines like, <laughs> The, the heart rate's not accurate. Like, I don't even know if you press it at the right times. It doesn't say which times for which interval. It's hard to interpret. Like basic, like, Hey, I did my one hundreds. My first one was a one twenty five, And then I faded, went to one thirty five, and felt fine at that effort or something, whatever it is. That's so super yeah. useful. And I do think it can be good to wear it just to record your distance and not look at it too much. Just like, okay, look, you know, some people like, some people say, oh, I can't keep track. If I don't wear my watch. Well, I mean, I don't believe you, but, um, just, you know, for, for that, I, I have an issue with that argument because if you're telling me that it means you didn't go to the pool with a proper structured workout with a purpose. True. And like how, so what you're, you're checking your watch every like random number of lengths to see if you've done your 400, no way, you know, you've done your 400 and then you hit the watch guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. And if you can see the clock, you should have an idea of, of where you're at. You know, like when I'm swimming 400s, if, if I hit the wall and it says 350, I know I, I still have more to swim. You know that you've done a 450 and you did with too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and if you're worried about the number of reps as well, well, if you're swimming 20 by 100 on 130, you're done in 30 minutes. 
yeah it's good to keep track actually that's a great point i love to like if i have a lot a large number of reps like 20 or even 10 or whatever i like to just okay let's say i'm starting on the 20 i'm like all right i'm done at 50 minutes and then i won't even count the reps and every once in a while i'll just look and be like okay yeah i've got you know this many left like it lets you stay engaged in the effort stay present and not like worry about oh my god i still have so much more work to do um but that's just a little me thing and then ben rudson we used to train with him every rep he would be like all right 19 to go all right 18 <laughs> to go and it would just drive me nuts because i like to try to forget about how many are left sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes you're just in the zone swimming um i don't know how beneficial this conversation is because we both agree on this point but we we're also kind of you know cut from the same cloth because we grew up like our entire triathlon career we kind of trained together under the same yeah. coach but yeah, but hey, I, you know what? We'd love to hear comments about why a watch is great. And like I yeah. said, wear a watch, totally fine. Like, just don't be obsessed with it while you're swimming. And I, you know, and you know, yeah, it is what it is. If if your coach is telling you that he likes the watch because of the data, um, he's probably lying to you. Because I have never seen a professional swimmer with a professional swim coach required them to wear a watch oh yeah ridiculous (laughs) yeah well Uh, some people really like to use those like training stress indicators in their their, you know their watch and tells them when they're overtraining and stuff like that and that's a whole different topic we could get into which we probably will at some point um but for the swim you know Try not to obsess with it. Think about your form. Think about taking proper strokes. And it's different on the run or biking. Like you don't have to not take a proper run stride to hit your watch. Like it's it's not going to affect you. So it's a bit yeah. really different thing. I mean, if if it did track, if I knew exactly how far I was running all the time, I, I would honestly never run with a watch either. But <laughs> that's that's just so you're not going to run a track for 100 percent of your runs because that'd be crazy. Exactly. And, um, but I will say if you're wearing the watch and it gets you in the pool because it automatically uploads to train peaks and you really enjoy the automatic upload, turning training peaks green, do it. If it gets you in the pool, wear the watch for sure. Or just like, yeah, look at all the training I've accumulated on my watch. Yeah, exactly. That. And um, if yeah, first guy that really likes the added TSS on there, you think that's valuable, go for it. Um, I guess there's no harm in collecting extra data. Uh, but I will say sure. this, it's a non-wetsuit swim and you're wearing one of those giant watches. Uh, I know they're getting smaller now, but it is significantly slower in the water. Yeah, they do slow you down. Like even a, even a, with a wetsuit, it's just an extra thing dragging. Um, so yeah, that's, that's another point. Uh, but yeah, things, traps people fall into. Um, interesting. Uh, yeah too much pull i've seen i mean he's not here and i love throwing him under the bus nick did this once uh it was recently i think last year he got into a habit of just doing tons of pull and it was great and it was building all the strength and stuff and he did it around this time of year he was doing like 6k 7k sets mostly all pull um for a while and then the early season races he just wasn't swimming that well um and then he was like, I guess I did too much pull. And then he went back to the normal training plan. And then by the end of the year, he was swimming back to his normal standard. Uh, we were getting out of the water together again. So 
that's my one anecdote of too much pull. <laughs> yeah, well, two now. Two, two yeah, because yours as well. Um, yeah. It can throw off your rotation timing. So we haven't, we mentioned the body position. Should we just quickly touch on rotation? So that's a tougher one because we did mention it was one of the most important things. Now, when it comes to rotation, the, the reason why we rotate through the water is because, well, a couple things, but two, the main two, I would say, is that it allows your arms to have a longer uh, pull, basically, because it just it allows a longer reach on either end of the stroke. But the main one is that when you rotate, you can produce a lot more force through your hand. And that's what we do when we swim. We're producing force through our hand and our arm, but mainly our hands to create power to propel us forward. So I think what understanding that and understanding that in order to correctly time your rotation, you need to optimize it with when you're pulling through the most powerful part of your stroke. And that's when you're doing the most, the most, I guess, rapid part of your rotation. And that's going to produce the most force through your hand, which is going to produce the most forward propulsion. So um, just like when you throw a baseball, you rotate it, just your core muscles. And I believe it's, there's an, there's an effect of the muscles coming diagonally across your body and contracting It's called like the Serape effect. Um, I learned about it from swim smooth when yes. I watched that video about Josh Amberger and why he's such a great swimmer. And they said he has a very good Serape effect where his, his twist almost acts like a snap and it kind of like snaps quickly and produces a lot of force through his hand. Um, so that's what you're working on with rotation. I think people don't necessarily associate it enough with their pull. Um, they kind of think of rotation as its own thing, but you really need to be conscious of that hand as you're pulling through and rotating into that hand. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on pull Garrick? How can people rotate better with their pull? Uh, you nailed it. That's exactly what, what I was thinking, exactly what I was going to say. Uh, and then really focus on like keeping a taut body, not hot, but taut. Uh, and so making sure that rotation in the shoulders is rotating at the same time as your hips. So you're not noodling through the water. Um, and again, if like going back to band or band with the pull boy, the ankles, or even sometimes if it's really bad when you're just pulling, you really see someone like noodling through the water if that rotation, that timing between the shoulders and the hip is off. So you really wanna act almost like a log, like one piece in the water and keeping that that rotational timing properly. Yeah, great point. And, and I, even for me, like when I would use a band only, I'm, I am noodling or snaking through the water a little bit. And that's why it's a great drill for me to like, really focus on trying not to do that um because that's kind of a difficult thing uh to achieve but yeah core strength can help too to kind of couple the hips with the shoulders you know like planks and and push-up position and things like that can kind of keep that core solid um there's some other you know so working on core strength can help even just thinking about activating your core while you're swimming is definitely um gonna help with that but that's something like we said, those are the two things by position and core air and rotation. If you can nail those two things, you're going to be improving your swim a ton. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much, you know, that's the form aspect. Like we're not, 
swim smooth we don't have every detail like if you want really really detailed analysis swim smooth is probably the go-to would you say for for that i i would say so yeah they they do a good job and they break down different types of strokes too which is on their youtube channel which is incredibly beneficial yeah uh, but yeah, yeah there's a little bit different timings like some people have a bit more of a glide some people are more of like a, a continuous turnover that tends to be common with like open water swimmers um yeah. so there's not like necessarily the, one perfect stroke yeah kind of like the gallop stroke um and where you favor rotation to one side there's not one perfect stroke there there is a what would what would be considered there's a theoretical perfect stroke but which again is the swim smooth model but they do a great job at delineating on how people are effective with with other strokes just like running right there's a theoretical perfect runner but then there's lots of people who look different who run just as fast um same idea but yeah so one last thing for kind of over focus is is swim toys i would say some people can get really caught up in using different cool fancy toys but you need to know why you're using them and you would really like to either film yourself using them or have a coach on deck watching you use them. Uh, a good example of that is those forearm fulcrums that really work for some people. They're originally intended to for hand position during your pull, and they, they have some some effect of that. Um, I would, once I, I had two ladies swimming side by side that I was coaching. I gave them to both of them to try at the same time. One of them, it completely destroyed her stroke. Her, she had good EVF, it ruined it. Um, and she was, I can't remember, um, I think she was crossing over all of a sudden and she was like, you know, but she wasn't breaking her wrist now, but she was, you know, like sweeping out and it messed up all her timing. And the other lady, it actually improved her EVF. It was almost like a kinesthetic reminder for her and it worked great so i took it off the one lady and i was like you're never touching these again and the other one i was like we're going to incorporate a little more of this um so you need to know why you're using it and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't you don't need a giant bag full of swim toys but there are some very good effective ones for you yeah that's great and great point um, and, and remember a pull boy is also a swim toy pull pad paddles are also a swim toy. You don't necessarily need all these fancy ones. Uh, snorkels good for something like I was using it a lot when my rib was sore because it helped me to not have to do a big heaving rotation and hurt my rib, but I've started, I've kept using it more because I've liked it. Um, parachute I've been using a bit. It's just, it's more of a resistance yeah. trainer. It's great. It's a good alternative to pull because you're putting the load on your entire stroke rather than just your arms. Um, so it kind of is a more balanced way to kind of increase the resistance. Um, it's also very frustrating to swim with because you swim super hard and you go nowhere. And then you're like, frig, I did 800 meters of freaking parachute and it took me 25 minutes, but that's just, yeah. that's why you don't obsess about your mileage because sometimes, you know, it's worth more than that. Yeah. Um, James gave me, or we had a swim that was 100 parachute, 100 free for 2K was the main set. <laughs> that took me so long. 
it was frustrating as heck, but I love the parachute. Um, I find it gives me really good feel for the water just because you're going so slow. Um, and you really have to focus on catching water, not only with your hands, but your forearm at the same time. But again, that's something that I would incorporate, um, in that higher level of swimming. So maybe as you are in the higher end of the intermediate swimming, would I incorporate that? Um, for short, for short stuff, right. It's going to be very difficult. Kind of like a band. It's going to yeah. hurt your body position. It's going to be tough. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely good for the higher level swimmers. And one thing we haven't talked about is fins, which are a great tool, especially the slower you are. So more so for beginners, I would say, um, because they're going to help your body position and they're going to make some of those drills a little bit easier. Um, not necessarily those really big giant fins that really help propel you, but a nice small pair that can just help keep your feet floating a little bit better is going to be great, especially with drills that are slow because slow drills, your feet tend to sink. And then it's hard to get the purpose out of the drill when you're going so slow. Um, I even like using them for, for some of the slower drills as well. So another good one that, and, um, you're going to get, so there'll be swim coaches coming up to you and be like, what's the purpose of these little fins and be like, well, I'm not trying to build strength in my kick. What I'm trying to do is improve my body position so that I can work on whatever I'm working on. But also at the same time, I keeping that core engaged with my kick. So I'm not getting a lazy core like I would with a pull, with a pull boy. Yeah, that's a great point. But yeah, kick. We haven't even talked about that. Should you be doing huge, long, hard kick sets? Is that a good thing? What do you um, think? At this time of the year, honestly, if you want to, I would say, and you have the time for it, I wouldn't put it as a high priority, but I would say do a kick set. It gets you super fit. If you've ever tried to do a kick set on a pace time, it is very hard. tired. <laughs> hard. Yeah. And it's, it's super interesting too, because kick is like, you take a group of eight swimmers and they're all different abilities. You're guaranteed some of the slower ones are going to be faster at kick. And it's hard to predict because just kicking and propelling you um, is a totally different way to do it. And some people crush it. I'm not very good at it. I got my butt kicked all the time when we did kick sets with the draft legal swimmers. Um, but yeah, it's a good time where you're not doing a huge amount of bike and run training and it's not going to take away from that um, to do some kick during the season probably wouldn't do any or much kick sets um, just because nope. you don't want to do a kick set and then have a three hour bike and then not do it well because your legs are sore from kick set. Yeah. And it really loads the hip flexors, which could have some inherent issues within that. So that's for um, sure. True. Yeah. But I think, I think we've, we've covered, covered it. We're just the experts of swimming apparently. Um, but yeah, that's what we think about swimming kind of unexciting because we pretty much have the same opinions all the time. Um, not surprising that every time we've ever raced together, except maybe once we've gotten out of the water, no, twice we've gotten out of the water within what? Five seconds less. Yeah. I Usually think I'm on your feet, maybe once or twice you've been on my feet. And then, yeah. um, yeah, there's the, well, the one time early, early, like when we were like 20, I got out ahead of you, but that was like one season at, at a age group race. I think. Remember when we did the Peterborough triathlon? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. That was my very first year of triathlon. Was that? No, no. Cause we were on the same team at that point. So it had to be like your second or third year. Oh 
And yes, Daniel was there and he crashed. Yeah, I do remember that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that was my second or third year. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I don't remember much of the race, but I remember Daniel crashing. And terrible. He had such yeah. bad road rash, the poor guy. Yeah, I remember taking him to the hospital. So I don't remember much of the race there. I remember the turnaround on the run and being like, where the heck is this turnaround? <laughs> uh, and then the photographer telling me where it was. But yeah, I remember that. And then um, Des Moines, we got him to transition together, but I think I got out of the water a decent right. ways. So that was that what we were just talking about, Peterborough. That was probably 2012 um, or 2013, probably. And then Des Moines, <laughs> Des Moines, 2021 garrick was probably about 20 seconds ahead of me and nick no and then i was even ahead of nick i think yeah and that was, was way back nick's pull escapade yeah that was after nick's pull escapade of too much pull but garrick was about 20 25 seconds ahead of me maybe even 30 but that was such a long run it was like a, over a kilometer and i made up the 20 seconds and we got on the bike side by side yeah uh <laughs> That part of that, like you should have made up all that time. Like I had my suit off. So I was running really slow trying to pull the suit on. That was the first time I tried not having the sleeves on during swim, which ended up, I was like, run, I'll put it on. But I, anyways, I should have got down. Yeah. I should have got on the bike five seconds ahead of you. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Didn't affect Point the race. Being, we do a lot of the same swim training. We have some of the same theories. We aren't the fastest swimmers out there. Um, certainly there's people who are way faster that if you want to base it off of fast swimmers, go check out their stuff. But we do tend to swim well in the open water compared to our pool swimming, I would say, um, which is, you know, always handy. But hopefully we can swim together again soon. Uh, yeah. We're not in lockdown anymore. So maybe you come visit me this time, although you have school. So probably not. Yeah, well. <laughs> school's almost done so hopefully we'll be back to training quite a bit more together whether it's training camps or um well training camps really all i can think of but <laughs> well and the couple couple workouts leading into a race yeah you should too. definitely come to guelph for a throwback training camp this year prior to maybe prior to montreal blanc if you do that race if i do trombone i that i'll definitely be stopping guelph yeah We'll see. That would be, that's pretty early for you, right? Yeah. That would be my very first race back. If I manage that, um, no promises. I don't want to put any pressure on getting back to racing. I just want to, you know, get back, see where the fitness comes, put no pressure on it. Yeah. Well, we want to look at, I want to freaking see your first run tomorrow. I want to see it on your Instagram and obviously the episode will be out by then, but Garrick's back running. So that's exciting or maybe he re-injured himself and he isn't. And when this comes out, but hopefully not, that's probably not going to happen. Yes. I snapped off the head of my femur. Oh, dang it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, guys, thanks for tuning in. Um, I guess all that's left to say is until next time, peace. Out. Out. Flying through the sky in my parachute Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise On a one-man mission trying to see it through